Welcome to Ministries That Podcast, where I talk to successful ministry leaders about how they're using podcasting to amplify their mission and grow their ministry so you can too. I'm Tim Hall, your host and owner of Sonomorphic, a podcast production company that specializes in podcasting for ministries. My guests today are Marty Solomon and Brent Billings from the Bama Podcast. Marty is an author, content creator, and co-host of the Bama Podcast, along with being the president and director of discipleship for Impact Campus Ministries. He's on a mission to examine bad readings of the Bible and reconstruct better readings of the Bible that are informed by the historical and Jewish context. Brent is the producer, along with being a co-host of the Bama Podcast. He's also the communications coordinator for Impact Campus Ministries. In today's episode, Marty, Brent, and I are going to talk about how the Bama Podcast started out as a class for college students, how people have discussion groups about the podcast all around the world, and the role the podcast has been in their personal faith journeys. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Marty Solomon and Brent Billings. Marty and Brent, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Absolutely. I love this novel idea of doing a podcast about <laughs> podcasting. You've like broken the code. I love it. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's perfect. And normally I don't do this kind of stuff. So it's a fun <laughs> experience for me as well. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. So I've seen the Bama podcast and the top of the religion and spirituality charts on Apple Podcasts for years. Didn't really know much about the podcast until I started digging into it recently and doing some research and discovered that you actually didn't set out to start a podcast in the beginning. You actually began as a class for college students. So take me back. What led to you starting the ministry, Bama Discipleship? Yeah, we were a campus ministry. We were on campus, physical campus at University of Idaho and Washington State University. I had just started in the field, and I knew that my passions and my gifting was teaching. And so I knew that teaching a class or a Bible study wasn't some rocket science, but I just knew it was how I was gifted to operate. So we started that small little one, two students on each campus, and then that was kind of growing and growing. We had done three different cycles of this study on campus, and Brent joined us somewhere in the middle of that. I think maybe our second iteration. Brent yeah, joined. Second round. Yeah, just as one of the participants, and then he came back around again, and then my job at Impact got changed, and I had to start traveling. And so just the nature, we wanted to flip the classroom so that the students had the content hmm. that they could listen to digitally, even if I wasn't in town. And Brent said, well, the podcast is just the right venue and I'm going to help you produce it. And so, yeah, we were just trying to get content to students, knowing that other people could listen to it, but never intending to try to launch some big podcast. And then lo and behold, it just kind of continues to grow. We kind of find that out one day. Yeah. So where did the name come from for your ministry, for the podcast? What was the significance of Bama, and why did you want to include that? My passion, uh, you know, I got to study, before I became a campus minister, I was, at a, I was at a local church, and I got to study with Ray Vanderlaan over in Israel and Turkey. And one of the things that I just loved was seeing this, this biblical community that was so enamored with dedicated to, focused on the text, the biblical text, and these communities that came back from Babylon with these synagogues. And in the middle of these ancient synagogues sat a bima, and this bima was just a little raised platform. Today, it's a stage, very similar to mm. our churches, but in that ancient world, it was just a little platform in the middle of the synagogue, and the whole community would gather around 
the text, wanting to hear it, to learn from it, to study it. And I was just always inspired by that picture, not of a performance and spectators, but as a community gathered around the scripture. And so I just stole that idea and wanted to use it. And that's where the name came from. Nice. And Brent, at what point did you start to get involved? You you took the class and then at what point did you start helping out with the podcast and developing it to become what it is now? Yeah, so 2013 was my first time through the class. And then 2015, I immediately got into the next round because I just felt like there's so much Mm. there and I'm sure I didn't absorb even half of it. So I got to do it again. And I guess Marty noticed that. I don't know if that was completely abnormal, but I don't think that many people were repeating the class. And at that point, there were some other campus ministers who had been asking like, hey, can we use the material that you're developing with our students as well? So Marty was actually recording before the podcast started, but it was just like a single microphone in the middle of the room. And I'd heard those recordings. And so when he said, hey, I'm going to start a podcast, I was like, okay, well, (laughs) I'm going to help you with that. Because I've been doing audio and video production of some sort since about 2002. Nice. Yeah. So I had a fair bit of experience and I knew that I had a lot to learn, but I knew that I could help Marty and I really enjoyed Bema and really believed in telling the, the story of the Bible as one big story and understanding the narrative that God is telling the world and how we're supposed to partner yeah. with him and everything. So it was a good combination of the things that I had experience with plus the things that I believed in. Yeah, we just started it. You know, we had a few ideas and Marty had a little bit of a budget and we're like, okay, let's, we prioritized our microphones. And then I did some crazy things. Like my job was at that time was video production. And so I didn't have a regular audio editor, but I knew Final Cut Pro really well. So the first like four sessions fully are edited in Final Cut Pro, which is a video editing (laughs) application. We cut the corners where we could and we spent our money where we thought it would be best used and we just went to town with it. Nice. Yeah, and I was listening to another podcast that Marty was on and you mentioned that about two years in you changed podcast hosting platforms and you got a lot more data. And what were some of the realizations that you had at that point with how large the audience had gotten and how that shaped the future sessions and seasons of the podcast? I won't say a lot here because Brent will be able to speak. We just had a meeting the other day where we talked about the specifics, and I tend to give preacher counts, and I tend to get my timeline all screwy, and Brent is really good about details. But yeah, we we were hosting on Squarespace to begin with. Okay. And so what we could get, and I don't know if it was through Squarespace or wherever, but Brent was getting some numbers largely on Apple users Mm. and some different data points. And we had this sense like, oh, there's some people listening to this, and there's a lot of people listening to this, and... And then we changed to Fireside as our host, Mm. and all of a sudden we're able to get a lot more data points for a lot of different reasons. And in the first year there, we really discovered that there's a lot more people. Brent has a distinct memory of him telling me what kind of numbers we were seeing download-wise. And that's where we really realized we, I realized I didn't have a mental grasp of what was happening with the podcast. And it's kind of been like trying to raise a 200 pound baby ever since. So I don't know what Brent would add to that, but that was my experience. Yeah. So in session six, once we finished the core material, we added some other teaching voices and Elle, one of our other teachers, she said, whenever she is recording, she likes to picture being in the middle of a football stadium. Cause mm. it, like 
it's not necessarily that many people. Like the numbers are also squishy anyway, so it's really hard to know. But it's like there's a lot of people here, and I may know a handful of them, but there's no way I can know all of them, and I have to be very careful and consider like what am I saying? Like what is my background leading me to say? that might mean something totally different to somebody else. And just considering that wider audience of, because when we started it, like we knew all the people in Moscow and on the Palouse who would be listening. And we knew there would be a handful of other, you know, students at other Mm -hmm. campuses, but it's like, well, we have relationship with the people who are leading those students. And so we just, we had a pretty close connection with everybody we originally intended to serve with the podcast. And so now it's like, it's so much wider than that and so many more things that we have to consider and so many things that we don't even know how to approach because we don't have those experiences. So like trying to absorb all of those things, like listening to stories and hearing from listeners and like, Oh wow, that was meaningful to you. Like Hmm. that episode felt like a dud to us or felt like a, Oh, we're just going to check that box real quick and move on to the next thing that we're more excited about. And then it was, you know, the favorite episode of somebody. So there's just a lot more things to consider like that with the audience that we have. Yeah. So while we're talking about some of the behind the scenes stuff, I'd love to hear what kind of goes into the making of an episode of the podcast and what role each of you play in that. Yeah. And things have definitely changed of recent. For the first five sessions, the first five seasons, that was really my body of work, which I have been forming for a long time. I had taught it as that physical class on campus. So there wasn't a whole lot of necessarily content prep work that we had to do, which was nice. My job has a lot of different aspects to it. Podcasting was a very small part of that. That prep was easy. Brent was doing far more work on the editing side than I was having to do necessarily in the prep work because I had been building that content over years. Then you got to the end of that body of work and you start pressing into all of this new material. Mm -hmm. And that has been a lot more work. My job has grown to create some more space for that. So it's been good. But now I think, I think there's a Google doc or two that gets passed around per series that we create and we start mapping out notes and a skeleton and an outline of where the series is going to go. And that week prior, I start filling it out with just an outline of where I think the discussion is going to go. And who knows what Brent Billings does? He does it behind the scenes and shows up. That's all real in the podcast when you're hearing that. Because I, he doesn't put his notes in there. I don't know what he's going to add. I don't know what he's found from the NET. And that's been a lot of fun. So a little bit more prep work on my part. I think the editing's been, Brent will have to speak to this. I feel like that's probably been a pretty steady climb week in and week out. About the same work, the same editing production that probably always has been. But Yeah, I spend a lot more time editing than I probably should. I think what I do is not what I would recommend for most people, but I spend probably three to four times the length of the episode in the editing process. And I'm just like slicing and dicing. And, you know, you talked about, I was listening to your interview with the Bible Project guys. Yeah. They were talking about like respecting people's time. And Mm -hmm. so my editing hand is pretty light, but sometimes it's like, oh, we made that comment and that's going to make people think of this totally different thing. And it was really offhanded and we're like, it's not what we're talking about. So maybe I'll take out little things like that, but even like slicing down a pause, you know, from three seconds to one second, like that two seconds, which takes me, you know, I spend three or four hours editing an episode Mm -hmm. and that saves our listeners. I mean, just 
countless hours in aggregate. So every second actually makes a huge difference. And so my editing process hasn't really changed, but what I do has become more valuable as our listenership has grown. But we're also not afraid of like sitting in a topic. Like we had a series on the tabernacle and one of those episodes got up to two hours. And that's a long (laughs) podcast. But at the same time, the people who love that series really love that series And if you want to go deep on the tabernacle, like we've got that available and you don't have to listen to the whole thing. I'm assuming you've looked at the Apple podcast charts or whatever else where it shows you like how far into an episode listeners get. Like it it doesn't really (laughs) seem to matter how long the episode is. That chart is pretty depressing. (laughs) So it's like, we're not going to make a two minute podcast. We're going to sit in it. And if you want to engage that and wrestle with that Mm -hmm. and go through the whole thing, like, great. And if you don't, that's fine too. Like Bama is not for everybody. We're totally fine with that. Yeah. So, yeah. But as far as my prep, I've gone back and forth with that. You know, John from the Bible Project was saying something similar, like he prefers to prep as little as possible so that he can go in with that fresh perspective. And I definitely have come to appreciate that when we first started, I kind of assumed I'm going to do a lot of prep. I'm going to be really ready. Mm. I've been through Bama a couple of times. I'm going to know all the answers. And it's like, well, that's not true. <laughs> and a lot of people appreciate that. They're like, hey, it's funny because some people are like, man, Marty's just so hard on you. He's all, you know, he's just always grilling you. And then other <laughs> people are like, how do you know all the answers? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know all the answers. And Marty's not really grilling me. And shouldn't he expect me to know this stuff after having been through Baymont twice anyway? <laughs> so I don't know. Now that I do it as my full-time job, I'm able to prep more mm-hmm. for some episodes. But some episodes I come in completely bare and with nothing to offer and just see what what the spirit leads in the moment. So it varies a lot from episode to episode for me. Gotcha. Yeah. A lot of times that's a good experience for the listener because they have that same point of view that they're coming at it and being like, I've got these questions too. And so hearing, you know, sometimes the less prepared you are and having those questions they are like, oh, that's what I was thinking. So that can be great to engage your audience. But yeah, I'm the same way with editing. Well, I own a production company. I've been editing podcasts almost a decade now, and I'm the same way. I spend more time than I probably need to or should editing the podcast, but it is one of those things that I want it to be as distraction-free as it can be and the best use of people's time when they're listening. I'm right there with you. It feels like art almost. Mm -hmm. When you make an edit and it's like, man, I just took out two minutes in the middle (laughs) of something where we totally lost our train of thought or we forgot where we were going and we had to like pick it back up. And when you make that clean edit Mm -hmm. and you listen back through and you're like, nobody's going to know. Like, that feels so good. It does, for sure. I noticed that in this week's episode. I'm like, man, there was a whole little bit right there that just disappeared (laughs) and I can't even find the cut anywhere. It was great. (laughs) Uh, It just, yeah, it warms my heart to hear other people that, that think the same way. And I noticed as I was scrolling back through the feed, there's a few different episode types that you do. You have obviously the Bama episodes, but then sometimes you have guests on. You've talked about The Chosen. Tell me a little bit about the decision to add those in as other episodes. Some of them are labeled bonus episodes as well. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I know that so many of the podcasts that I listen to, they're either exclusively interviews or they have interview Mm -hmm. components. So when we got done with the body of work, one of the things that I wanted to do was just experiment with some of those ideas. And the thing that I I think we learned about the experimentation, whatever idea we had, is that there was always a part of the crowd that it really worked for. Like Mm -hmm. there are people that are like, 
man, the interviews are some of my favorite things you've done. There's a whole lot of people that are like, man, interviews are not my favorite. Yeah. But for those few that it really speaks to, and for the rest of us, it challenges us because we get to hear those conversations. I just like that element. Didn't know if we were going to keep it, but it's just been good. It's been good for me. Like, honestly, selfishly, yeah. the interviews are just great mm. for me to get to interact with other thinkers, other creators, other ideas, so many beautiful things that we get to wrestle with. The Chosen was just kind of, I mean, we didn't realize how how big of an awesome thing that would be for so many listeners. Yeah. And originally, we put that first season right in the main content. And, you know, you hear from people, you realize not everybody's watching The Chosen, not everybody wants to watch The Chosen. So now they're having to take an eight-week break from the... Mm -hmm. So we just simply decided to move those into bonus content so that those that didn't watch The Chosen could just keep getting their content on Thursdays and get the extra bonus stuff if they wanted it. So those are just decisions we've made throughout the... And I've really enjoyed feeling like we had the flexibility, especially in season six and onward, to just try new stuff, yeah. do new things, think we knew what we were going to do, and then change it. I don't think that's Brent nor my personality. We like to be mm. very uniform. Brent and I both have a commitment to doing the same thing all the way to the end. Mm. But I think we've both enjoyed being able to be like, well, we're going to change that next season, and we do. <laughs> nice. What are some of your most valuable learnings you feel like from that that you've taken into the future seasons? I think the idea of developing larger series that cover, because I think in early session six, we bounced around quite a bit. And that's fine in some ways, but also to sit in the book of John for 10 months or to sit in the parables for six weeks or whatever. I think that's helpful because you just have time to to go deeper into a topic, to think about it day to day, week to week, and then come back with a different idea, different perspective, like, oh, I thought that about this, but now I see this other story, this other book, this other whatever, and it's like, oh, that actually maybe affects what I was understanding about this. And it just allows your understanding of things to grow over time. So I, I think our, our current, I would hope we're happy with what we're doing right now. <laughs> but I think that's what our evolution into those like, you know, more focused times. Mm -hmm. And we're still going to cover a lot of different stuff. And it's not necessarily going to feel like it's all connected to each other. I think once you get through the first five sessions, you have that full understanding of the story of the Bible, you understand where each part of the story fits into the greater narrative. Well, sure. Jump ahead to where we talk about John. Like you don't necessarily need to listen to everything in session six prior to John to understand what we're talking about in John. Of course, there's going to be things that we reference. Like if you jump straight to John, you're not going to know Josh and Ellen Reed, but you'll figure it out. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's the biggest, my biggest thing that I've learned is the benefit of expanding the team. When we added Josh and L and Reed to the teaching team in session six, it was about five seasons too late. Like, that was just such a great move for so many reasons, practical, just character of the podcast. It was just such a good, and now we're having to like, we're considering that relaunch of the first five seasons. Mm -hmm. Can we go back and kind of remake yeah. those episodes with the wider team? Because it was such a benefit to have their voices and have their perspectives. Yeah. 
So I love the experiments where we learn this stuff. And and then when you learn it, you're like, why didn't I think of this 200 episodes ago? <laughs> That's just one of the things that I've learned so much from season six and beyond. Nice. Yeah. Some of those things, it's just you you do the thing and then you learn it and then you're like, man, I wish I would have done that sooner. But if I wouldn't have started, then I wouldn't be here. So That's right. That's right. <laughs> And I noticed on your website, listeners can join these discussion groups, and they literally meet all over the world from what I saw on that map. Tell me about the genesis of those groups, and then what can someone expect if they want to join a group? Yeah, that was another one of those kind of happy mistakes that happened kind of on the front end of us learning that more and more people were listening. Mm. So we had the, this is towards the beginning of our journey in 2016, Somewhere around 2017-ish, one of my friends says, hey, I've got friends in Montana that listen to your podcast. And then they get together and they talk about it. And I was like, whoa, like what a great idea. Like that's an awesome way to do this. So we went and met the group and a bunch of beautiful things came out of that. And I remember one of my board members at my organization saying, you have people listening in a group and you don't even know who they are or where they're at. That's stupid. You need to figure (laughs) out how to keep track of that. And so... I said, Brent, can we create? And he's like, we can use a Google map. And so we just started keeping track of where those groups were and just trying to facilitate the map is out of date. The map only represents at least a quarter at most Mm. of the groups that are out there, but it facilitates connection for people that are trying to find other folks. And so, yeah, we do have a guide on the website of how to start a group. It's not rocket science. We don't facilitate those groups. We don't oversee them. We don't produce curriculum. We simply facilitate the connection Mm -hmm. and let the groups take it from there. Those groups become a lot of different things. It's not a uniform experience. I've seen a ton of just beautiful ideas all over the country and got to go to the UK this last summer. And I met Mm. groups over there in England and Scotland and Wales. And it's just incredible to see what people do just on their own accord. Like if we kind of remove all of the clutter, Mm. This isn't difficult, and we really can follow Jesus together. And that's been the fun part of the groups. Not a lot of science behind it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great for me when I'm traveling because it's like, oh, I'm going to Sweden, Estonia, and Finland for vacation. Okay, let's see who's there. And, you know, even sometimes, like Finland, I didn't know we had anybody in Finland, but it turns out there's people there. I say I'm going to Finland, and then I get an email from somebody. (laughs) But the map is, like, totally how I plan out Anytime I go anywhere, I'm like, okay, who can I meet along the way? And I've met so many beautiful people who have been so generous and so kind and have shared Mm. just the most incredible stories, sometimes the most heart-wrenching stories, sometimes the most restorative stories. I love the map so much. Yeah, it's not a perfect representation of anything that's going on, really. We hear from people all the time. We're like, oh yeah, I'm meeting with some people, but we don't want to be on the map. Or <laughs> I'm with this group, and you know, it's we've been together for 40 years, but now we're bonding in a new way over the podcast. Mm. It's like, okay, that's great. There's lots of groups out there that aren't on the map. It's fine. You don't have to be on the map. It's not like you're on the map and there's like some sort of official <laughs> blessing going on. It's just so cool to see where God is using mm-hmm. the podcast and be able to like I just have friends everywhere I go. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's an element about podcasting that I really like is that, you know, people don't listen together. It's not like the golden age of radio where people would gather around the radio. But in some aspects, it can become that if everyone's listening and then they come together and discuss it. And I think there's something about that. I don't know how to put my finger on it, but there's something about that that I think is really 
is really lacking in our world today. And it's a huge benefit to people that decide to commit some time and, hey, let's go through this together. I mean, similar to like a small group at church, but I feel like it, I don't know, there's almost like a different aspect when you're all listening to the same thing and then you come together and, and discuss it. And it's really cool to hear that that map is just a, as a, a fourth of what the size might be. That's incredible to see that that's been the impact over those past, I mean, not even 10 years at this point. So that's, I mean, that's amazing. Podcasting takes a lot of time, effort, and to be honest, a lot of Googling. What if you could ask like-minded people how to overcome the challenges you're facing starting a podcast, growing a podcast, or producing multiple podcasts? I think starting a community like that would be super valuable, but I want to know what you think. Would you be interested in being part of a community of ministry leaders using podcasts to amplify their mission and grow their ministry? If so, let me know by filling out the interest form using the link in the show notes. When I was doing some research the other day, I saw that you were number 34 in the religion and spirituality charts on Apple Podcasts. And a large part of that ranking, as you probably know, is velocity of subscribers. What's been your best strategy for adding subscribers and growing your audience? Well, Brent will hold me accountable here. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I will say there's been none. We have no marketing conversations. We strategize how to steward the thing that's going on to our vision for ministry and those kind of things. I can't think of a single conversation we've ever had where it's like, how do we get more subscriptions or more listeners? Yeah. Or like we're interested in like, are young people listening? Because that's our target audience. Mm. So We've never made it onto Spotify, but we're having that conversation now because that's where all the young adults are. And if we're not on Spotify, we're just not reaching those folks. And I mean, those are the conversations we have. But if this is great, it will be great. If this Mm. is something that I think now I'm thinking of the book of Acts and things that certain Jewish rabbis said. But if this is of God, it's Mm. of God. And it's not anything that Brent and I are doing. Yeah. If it's not, it'll fail. And there's nothing that, so if it works, if it's good, mm-hmm. people will come and people will show up because it's good and because it's something that God wants to use. I've listened to a lot of podcasts for quite a few years now, and I've heard many of them say like, hey, please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts because it makes a difference. And it's like, okay, what difference does it make? I don't know. I think we were hovering somewhere in the like top 50 to top 100 on average. And then when we finished session five, we went back and recorded a couple of little elements that we added at the end of episode one and the end of episode 32, which is the end of session one. And, you know, we said like, hey, it's four years later, Baymos become this thing that we didn't know it was going to be. Here's a couple of things that you're going to hear us say in the podcast, but here's what's actually going on now. And during that time, I was like, hey, if the podcast has meant something to you, like leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I don't know how much difference that's actually made or if it's just been the natural growth of the podcast. Anyway, we tend to sit like somewhere in the top 15, top 20 of that chart, sometimes yeah. drops down to 35 or so. So I think the highest we've ever been was three for like a single day. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I, I don't understand how any of this happens. Like our strategy is just to to do what we do and try to have good conversations and if people want to join us, they want to join us. And yeah. it's basically all been word of mouth. Yeah, that's no. great. 
Yeah, so from what I know of how that happens, a lot of it is either velocity of subscribers, as I was saying, so the number of people that are subscribing in a small amount of time. So if if you were to launch a new podcast and you went and you were launching this, it would be ideal to go in front of a thousand thousands of people, go to a conference and say, hey, this new podcast is starting. Everybody go subscribe right now. If everybody subscribed right then, that's a way to jump up on the charts. It's not going to stay there unless people are actually listening because that's another piece of it. The ratings and reviews don't technically do anything according to what I understand. It's great to have. Now, the only benefit to that is if people engage in sharing it to their friends because, hey, you know what? I I do actually really love this podcast and I'm going to leave a review and, you know, I should probably tell somebody about it. But that's a good point too, that you've been doing it for a while. You've been diligent at what you're doing and people continue to show up and they're sharing it because of the quality of the content itself, as well as, you know, Brent was talking about with editing and the audio quality, like those two things coming together make for a good experience for somebody to listen and then want to share it with somebody else. Yeah. And one other thing I would add about the whole word of mouth thing and, and the growth we've seen and whatever, like those numbers took years mm-hmm. to develop. Sure. And I think that's one of the hardest things about podcasting or doing anything is like you see, you know, these people that you want to like, oh, they had so much success here. They had, and you don't realize how many years they've actually been working Mm -hmm. at it. You might even see a podcast and you're like, oh, there's this new podcast and it's huge. And, and like, where did this come from? And like, wow, those, those people must be so great. It's like, well, they actually probably have like four or five other podcasts that they've done before. And they took everything that they learned from those and moved on mm-hmm. to this new thing. So it's not an overnight success. So let's just be clear about that. Yeah. And the nature of viral stuff anyway, there's no direct correlation even to, there's some correlation, but you like great quality content sometimes never finds that same space. And so we did this for a couple of years with very minimal, like there was some growth and there was some very, but then the curve starts, and then it, it just takes up. And we we didn't manufacture that. We were in no control of that. It's the nature of the interwebs. Yeah, and just taking the time, doing it episode after episode for years. It's not something you can manufacture. It's just putting in the time. And I'm a numbers guy, so I could spend my entire day in a spreadsheet looking at these charts, looking yeah. at these numbers, and that will kill you. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't worry about the numbers that much. Focus on the content mm-hmm. that you're producing and you know have a greater purpose than just the numbers mm-hmm. because the numbers will if i looked at them week to week it would be so terrible but then when i look at them every 6 months or every year it's like okay like i see <laughs> like we're getting somewhere yeah. you know whatever yeah for sure well i'd love to hear from both of you about as you've been doing this for you know several years now what role has the podcast been in your personal faith journey i mean that's a great question for me just the constant wrestling with, I don't know, the platform building, mm-hmm. the what are we doing here? What are we really doing here? And there's a certain character and integrity to the work itself. Kind of everything Brent was just saying. Mm. This isn't for production sake. It's not for increase. It's for like the mission at hand. And luckily we have jobs that make it to where the success of my podcast doesn't define the success of my larger work. Mm. That's not something that everybody else, the luxury that everybody else has. But I, I think for me, the podcast journey every week is an opportunity for me to remember how to try to pastor people mm. 
That's the wrong term. But you're doing something with your influence. Your influence matters. It's not nothing. But it's also not nearly as important or you can leverage it. You can do a lot of destructive things with it. But the constant weekly, like, what space does this fit in? And what does this serve? Who does this serve? And that's it. And just remembering that. I think it's been as a leader and as a teacher. But it's probably helped all the other parts of my job so much more because it's this weekly reminder of what matters, what matters, what matters. I have battled more narcissistic tendencies my whole life. I feel like this journey for me has helped me curb a lot of that. It could do the exact opposite. I think because of the great relationships, because of the accountability that I have in my professional life and my personal life, it's been a great opportunity to shape a lot of those things out of my leadership style. I'm very grateful for that part of the journey. It's been very good. For me, I think the, I mean, I already had a decent framework of the story of the Bible, but just solidifying that and then filling in those pieces and continuing to like learn and grow in that sense has been incredible. For me, the interviews have been huge because there's so many perspectives that I don't really have a way of understanding and getting to talk to somebody and seeing like, what is their life like? What has their experience been? Like I think of Andrew DeCourt, we interviewed him. He wrote a book about the Lord's Prayer. But a lot of his experience comes from living in Ethiopia and seeing the things happening there. It's like, I don't know anything about that. And that gives me a lot of new perspective on what God's doing in the world, what my approach to other people should be like. That goes for all of our interviews, really. Like all of these people are coming from these different contexts that that I'm not familiar with or that I haven't lived through. And it's not like I'd had that one hour conversation with Andrew and I understand everything I need to know about Ethiopia and everything that's happening there. No, but at least I'm more aware of it. And that just helps me to continue to to grow and and see that God is at work everywhere. It's not just this one little area or this one thing. God's trying to do stuff everywhere. Yeah, that's great. So now we're going to jump into our high pass segment, which is where we ignore the lows and I ask you about some of your favorite things. And Brent, you this is an audio pun. I love the title <laughs> of this segment. Yep. Uh, we'll do it pretty quick on these. But what's your favorite part about having a podcast? I always tell people, I get to do what I love every day, which mm. is talk about the Bible. And people say thank you. And that is a great gig that I know that most people don't get to get up every day and feel like they do that with their job. But I get to do what I love and people people don't just let me. They say thank you for playing this role in the larger kingdom thing. And and that's my favorite part of this whole thing. Yeah, for me, it's just meeting and talking to listeners and and hearing their stories because it's all over the place. It's so rewarding. Nice. Yeah, and that leads into the next one, actually. Of What's your favorite stories from a listener about how the Bama podcast has impacted their life? Man, the, the stream of stories is endless, and there's just so many. And I don't know if this one is in my mind because it's one of the more recent ones or whether it's really the one that tops the list. But, I mean, we, we recently had a family contact us after they had just gone through a really intimate death of one of their children who passed away young 
I mean, they talk about how the podcast gave them something to, and it just like, for me, it just feels like I'm so outside the realm of our podcast shouldn't be doing that for anybody, hmm. but it is. And that's how God's choosing to use it. And you get those kinds of stories, maybe not with that same gravity, but all the time when somebody says, this is the one thing that I was able to hold on to. I think of Jonathan Martin's book, Surviving a Shipwreck. And one of the chapters that he has in that book is you just grab something and hold on. It's not about strategy. It's not about, it's just about holding on because you got to survive until you get to shore. And for some people, what I hear them saying is the podcast was the one thing I was holding on to. Man, if that helped people get from one side of a valley to another in their walk with Jesus, time well spent for all of us. So love those. Yeah, I think of a story. This is actually a mother and daughter who had been listening. I don't know if they actually listened together or if they're just listening independently, but the daughter was seeing like, oh, and she's she's grown. She has her own kids. And she's seeing like those things that I grew up with, those ideas that I was taught, like that was a really broken, terrible way of viewing God and viewing the world and everything. And for her to just like be able to see that somewhere else and like, oh, that yeah, okay. I see why I am doing the things that I'm doing. I understand where that came from. And here's an alternative to that. But then also the mom who is like walking on this journey together. And like, you see the mom like experiencing this, like, oh, what have I done to my daughter? I'm starting to tear up just thinking about it again. And like, they're sharing this in a group. And it was the most incredible meeting I've had with a group of listeners, I think. Like just an hour of everyone bouncing around and just being so vulnerable but they're going through it together. And that was the thing that was most encouraging to me. Yeah, that's a really cool story. All right. The last question in our High Pass segment is, what's your favorite ministry podcast to listen to? Or what's your favorite ministry that you wish had a podcast? Uh-oh. Brent, you're going to have to go first. I got to go to my podcast app. <laughs> you know, this might be terrible, but I... I don't listen to a ton of ministry. I don't know. I listen to so many podcasts in general that yeah. the numbers are are a little crazy. But I think what I find most interesting is when I, it, typically it's an interview type show, but when I hear a conversation of somebody that is just way more spiritual than they realize it is, hmm. or way more pointed towards God when they were not trying to, they're not they're not saying God. They don't. Maybe they aren't a Christian. I don't know. But what they're saying is like, oh, that is the heart of God right mm. there. One of the most recent ones, the Apple News In Conversation show, there was a conversation with somebody about, about death and like mm. processing loved ones passing away and like, like, oh, like helping people grieve, I think is something that we're not very good at. And so that conversation and like, oh, yeah. God does want us to walk through that in a healthy way. And, you know, you can quibble with all the different ideas that were presented, like, whatever. Like, it's not going to be 100%. <laughs> it's not like, oh, well, that's clearly directly from the Bible. Like, no, not necessarily. But you see the heart of God in what's happening in that conversation. 
Yeah, I'm going to say mine. I looked at a handful and they would all be great answers. But if I'm being truthful, which I think is the goal of this question, it would be the Reverend. It would be the Reverend Hunter podcast with Tony Jones. It's just the perfect combination of two things I love, theology and hunting, recreational hunting. And I've loved the conversation. It's helped me become a better, more ethical hunter. Uh, Appreciate the outdoors. Just been a, a beautiful collision of two things in my life that I love. Yeah, that's been my, I think that's my favorite ministry theology podcast that I listen to. Cool. All right. Well, the last question I have to close our episode together, what's your best advice for ministry leaders who are considering starting a podcast for their ministry this year? I'm going to say, know what your long-term goal is. Because if you do have a long-term goal, settling into being a consistent presence. Mm Mm-hmm is what I feel like is what I miss in a lot of podcasts that are hit or miss. They post, it's not really consistent. Two episodes this week, three weeks later, another episode. Like, know what that long-term goal is and figure out how you can be that. And one of the things I love about Brent is we plan ahead so that that consistency is never in danger. We can have three or four months of production in the hopper, and then we can go on vacation or we can have a family crisis. And we don't have to worry about threatening that because that consistency mm-hmm. pastorally for me is what's important for our audience and our yeah. listeners. And that would be the one thing that I, it might just be a more of a pet peeve, but I, that would be my advice. And I would just say to keep it simple, mm. like it doesn't have to be this huge production. Take the easy route, like don't record in your kitchen, record in your bedroom. Like it's <laughs> going to sound way better. It's not going to cost you any extra money. And just learn and grow, like mm-hmm. continue to iterate. If you do it consistently, you'll start to see things. It's like, oh man, I wish I had known that 20 episodes ago, but you can change it moving forward. Mm-hmm. So yeah, simplicity and being realistic about what you can do. Mm-hmm. And then you'll just grow over time. Yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. Well, guys, Marty, Brent, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today and sharing your journey with the Bama podcast and all of the stories along the way. Absolutely. Thank you, Tim, for the invitation. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Man, I really enjoyed my conversation with Marty and Brent and getting to hear the backstory behind the Bama podcast. Marty gave some great advice there at the end, which if you haven't listened to just but a couple episodes of this podcast, you know how adamant I am about this. He said, you have to be a consistent presence with a long-term goal in mind. Or as I frequently like to say, you've got to create a podcast that you can sustain. I mean, that's the key. So that's great advice, Marty. And Brent also gave some simple but powerful advice to just start simple and get better over time. I mean, this is the biggest barrier for so many people, myself included, to starting a podcast. We want to do it big and get everything perfect when all we need to do is start publishing episodes and just keep getting better over time. Keep showing up, keep getting better. At least I hope I've gotten better over the last dozen episodes, but you can be the judge of that. You can listen to episodes of the Bama podcast with the link in the show notes. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Ministries That Podcast, produced by Sonomorphic. If you enjoyed today's episode, text it to a friend or share it on social media. Together, we can help more ministries grow and thrive 
through podcasting. And if you haven't already, follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on the next one and leave a five-star review while you're at it. Now come back in two weeks to hear from Elizabeth Urbanowitz, the founder of Foundation Worldview. It's an organization that helps Christian adults equip children to carefully evaluate every idea and understand the truth of the biblical worldview. We're going to talk about the genesis of starting Foundation Worldview, the benefit of publishing episodes on both podcast and YouTube, and how the team effort behind the podcast has enabled her to focus on creating great content. Well, until next time, keep encouraging your audience as they follow Jesus. Jesus.